Well, that's weird. <laughs> that's weird. Is it me or is it Memorex? <laughs> uh, David, you tell me. It's all right. Take a deep breath. We're not heart surgeons. No one dies when we make an error. What are we doing? Am I live? Am I on air? Am I on air now? <laughs> I'm on air now. All right. Things happen. No one's perfect. That's why God made erasers. That's why we see Mr. Bill running in his sock feet. <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Seth Leapson Show. It is a delight to bring back to the studio uh, one of my uh, great friends and one of the great friends of our community, one Ann Atkinson. She um, is the former executive director of the T.W. Lewis Center that was housed at ASU. I just think of her as Zena the free speech princess warrior, um, and now a running partner, a running partner. You go running with Hugh Holman and I sometimes, don't you? That's right, and I have to say I'm incredibly impressed with your hustle and both <laughs> of your competitive spirit on a Saturday morning run. We, we're competitive a little bit. Well, are we, though? Are we competitive? I must confess to the audience yeah, that when ahead. you when you start running, it's the, the you start your yeah. watches in sync and yeah. you put your fingertip to the ground yeah. like you're— you know, you're going to run a real race, and it's it is competitive and fun and a joy. I don't know if it's as competitive as it is obsessive compulsive, but you're putting a positive spin on things, which is your nature and beautiful. So thank you. Uh, and you know, it's fun. We've been engaged in a lot of different public policy uh, fights together, so it's great. All on the same side. Anne Atkinson, my guest, and happy to take calls on anything six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Ann and I met uh, during what was called the free speech crisis at ASU when uh, just about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago now, right? Uh, Dennis Prager and Robert Kiyosaki and uh, others were brought in to speak by the Lewis Center and were lambasted as white nationalists because the uh, faculty at the Honors College, at the Barrett Honors College, didn't like the perspective they were bringing a priori, I mean, before they even spoke, and they quoted a bunch of third-party leftist websites that took quotes of Dennis Prager's out of context to make him look like some kind of bigot or racist. Um, the The most odd one was, you know, saying that he thought we should use the N-word or something like that, when what he was giving was a lecture on, you know, how awful the N-word is, but he should be able to say what it was in its in his explanation of how awful it was. One of those organizations, Media Matters, Tom Horn and I were talking about yesterday, uh, superintendent of public instruction, because, you know, Prager U, which is now named after Dennis Prager, which is now available to our students and teachers in, um, in Arizona, um, got a lot of criticism as well. And they were using Media Matters to criticize Prager U's curriculum as well. And the Arizona Republic, which just can't help themselves, and I don't know if they're dumb or if they're biased or if it's just an arrogance of ignorance. But I remember inciting to Media Matters critique of PragerU, they said the educational watchdog Media Matters. It's not an educational watchdog. It's a political left-wing cancel culture organization that started to go after in the 2000s talk radio hosts and conservative cable TV news hosts. And yeah, they do some education, but it is not some 
educational watchdog organization. Anyway, that's how this all works. And you and I and Steve and a few other friends, we've been working on some legislation with the legislature to help reform this situation so that it doesn't happen again, so that students are not intimidated from hearing alternative points of view. How's it going? Well, I'm here today with very good news and for a very positive discussion because today marks progress with what's been a long journey, a long journey dedicated to simply goodness. This whole issue is about all students, all faculty, all staff having the same right to the, to the pursuit of ideas, freedom of expression and inquiry. It's about one standard for everybody. And it's really been a trudge through the mud to try to make a positive change. So since this last July, when we started working together on these policies, which have been, by the way, a great collaboration we've had. Senator Anthony Kern has been the chairman of the ad hoc committee that that took on this free speech issue in higher education. Together with the legislature, members of both the House and the Senate, this has been highly collaborative. We've had outside groups opine that really want to help achieve a solution that provides fairness for everybody. So today, a vote was successful the, the final vote in the legislature down at the Senate to pass the bill. It's Senate Bill 1304 um, through the Senate and onto the House. And this bill is really an omnibus bill. It has a lot in it, but there are a few key pieces that I think are should have already been in place and really address exactly what happened this last summer. So I look forward to talking today about what's in this bill, what's happening, and what does the path look like to try to get this through the House and to get ultimately the support of our Governor Hobbs to help Arizona to lead on these free speech issues. Well, I, I, that's really very heartening to hear because it has been a long, a long haul. But there have been longer. I mean, all of this has taken a year, and that's not so bad in context of moving big ships of state or big ships of organizational and institutional um, – what's the word I want? Calcification, which our higher education – uh, system has been. And what's important to remember is when we're talking about higher in, uh, higher education in our state, we're talking primarily ASU, U of A, and NAU. Now, the problem that we have been most acutely aware of is the one at ASU. But what's clear for anyone that kind of keeps up with the local news stories <clears throat> or reads the Arizona Republic is that there is something wrong over at the Board of Regents um, when even the Democratic governor, Katie Hobbs, as of late, has been criticizing them in the strongest of language I've ever heard her use against anything against a Board of Regents that isn't doing its job. Now, fair enough, it's about financial matters, and I'm not sure whether um, she's exactly right or not. But what's clear is when you have Democratic governors condemning Democratic-led Arizona's boards of regents with the same kinds of terminologies you and I and some of our friends have been condemning them on free speech issues, something is really wrong. So what we're going to do is we're – no, I'm not going to break. Am I going to break? I know we had a weird start, so I'm still good? Okay. Well, wait a minute, guys. <laughs> you can't do that to me. <laughs> Mr. Bill gave me three and young David gave me two. What is it? Somewhere in the middle? When I hear the music, we'll go to break. All right. And talk to us about some of these omnibus bills, uh, some of the provisions in the omnibus bill. Well, a key part is syllabus transparency. Okay. Now, right now, you would imagine that students have the ability to see what they're going to buy before they buy it. Okay. That they could see what they're going to learn in a class before they sign up for the class and pay for the class and turn down other options because 
registration is competitive on a college campus. Right. Well, right now, just in the Honors College, for example, of the 104 sections of the mandatory class, it's called the Human Event, that all of the 7,000 honors students must take their first year. Of this one mandatory class, 81% of the sections will not provide a syllabus to the students. Huh. So they are taking these classes from professors that teach and study witchcraft, intersectionality, settler colonialism, and the students that would like to choose to avoid whatever topic, including maybe those, can't choose. They're stuck. And they don't know what they're taking until they get into the class. So one of the key pieces of this bill would require any course that is posted for registration to include the syllabus and also the professor's curriculum vitae or their resume with a published list of their books and articles. Now, why would anyone or who could possibly be against or opposed to that? Well, it's a public university, and this information is already in the public domain. It's just not shared with the students or publicly. But if you submit a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request, this is public information. It should be available to the students. You would think. It is not intellectual property. It is nothing that's copyright. Right, right. It should. And actually, I would argue that for younger faculty, if we're trying to lift up younger faculty who are starting, they should benefit from being able to see what more senior or tenured faculty are teaching. You bet. But right now, the students are floored that they can sign up for an English class and it turns out to be something completely unrelated. Yeah, about witchcrafts and krakens. Yeah. Well, they'll learn what a Kraken is, as I had to during this whole debate. I didn't know. Did you know what a Kraken was going into this? I, I didn't. You I probably did. You're smarter look that than up me. As well. Oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ann Atkinson and I will be right back. We're talking about higher education reform, and she is the tip of the spear for it here in Arizona, at least when it comes to our public universities. All right. We got music. We're going to a commercial. We're back on track. David's giving me all kinds of signals. All kinds of semaphores. Is that a word in your catalog, David? Semaphores. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you live from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studios, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. At least I think we're coming to you live, Mr. Bill. That's why you stamp every hour with the date, (laughs) at least every first hour. (laughs) It was a question in the previous segment. And uh, the reason we have you joining me and Mrs. Ann Atkinson here is because... um, Because I'm in the punishment room. Well, I mean, failure is a great educator. Yes, it is. I've learned a lot. (laughs) Explain to us what happened. You heard the first minute of a recorded, an encore presentation of the Seth Leapson show rather than what was happening here live at 4.06. All right. And it wasn't young David's fault. It it was all 100% my fault. As much as I wanted to blame young David. For for those who wonder, is Bill still around? Oh, yes, he's still here messing things up. He won't be around much longer, (laughs) folks. Not at this rate. (laughs) The cornerstone that was mocked has become the chief cornerstone. We didn't want to um, give short shrift to this. Of course not. Because we're America. And what do we do in America, Bill? We we air our laundry right out in front so everyone can see it. That's what we do here. That's exactly right. So we got to play that broadcast. Gordon, the Canadian broadcaster who made that point, Gordon Sinclair. Remember, oh, yes. we the Americans. And he was a Canadian broadcaster. He was the Canadian Paul Harvey talking about how America gets short shrift in the world. Yeah. And that was one of his points. The Americans... 
like every society has their problems, but they hang them in the front window for everyone to see, unlike everyone else. Well, right. that's what we do on this show. So we're hanging you in front of the window. All right. <laughs> I apologize. All right. <laughs> Mr. Bill. Unreservedly. All right. Thank you, sir. Ann Atkinson is my guest. She is the former executive. Thank you for being a good sport. She is the executive director, uh, former executive director of the T.W. Lewis Center at ASU and really the, as I say, tip of the spear for fighting for free speech and higher ed reform here in Arizona. And you were talking about this omnibus piece of legislation that passed through the Senate uh, states uh, at the state legislature. And one of the issues, one of the important issues, really a very good win for us is academic transparency, transparency on the courses, right? Go ahead and take it from here. Yes. And, and this is a, such a big deal. And I have two points to make here. So number one, as I just mentioned before the commercial break, Students currently, for the most part, don't have access to syllabi before they register for a course. This would give them that flexibility. And I think in a world that is so polarized, allowing students to make this decision would lower the temperature quite a bit and allow them to find a professor that aligns. Not all the professors are these radical activists. There are so many good professors in higher ed. But, you know, one of the professors at Barrett who is on on record on online now discussing his mandatory classes, one that discusses and pursues the meaning of life. Well, he just put out a new book. It's called Between the Devil and the Host, Imagining Witchcraft in Early Modern Poland. This was one of the professors that called Dennis Prager a white nationalist, if I'm not mistaken. One of the, the chief attackers, one of the leaders of the condemnation campaign against Dennis Prager and the Lewis Center. And I think that a student should have the right to simply see a syllabus and then see a curriculum vitae with the with the instructor's publishing list that's updated each year so that they can make a decision. And so this bill, this win in the Senate today, would give that transparency. And here's the second piece, which is important. Uh, by the way, I just I got, uh, before you go to the second piece, Anne, I just got to restate, and maybe the professor will thank me for doing this because we're giving him more publicities for his book than he'll get anywhere else. But this is what the Honors College, the Barrett Honors College at ASU, is hiring professors to write and teach about. And I will cite the title again because people can order this on Amazon for 119 bucks. by the way. That's the price. Between the Devil and the Host, Imagining Witchcraft in Early Modern Poland. It reminds me of something Leo Strauss wrote about our society learning more and more about less and less as a real problem in our society. But anyway, okay, all right. That's that's what ASU and public state dollars are endowing, writing books on witchcraft in early modern Poland. I mean, I'm glad he has the, the interest in it, and I'm glad someone has the interest in publishing it. But um, the question of whether students need to be learning this on our dime— without them knowing they're going to be learning out about it without uh, transparency is another question entirely. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, and I, I think that the capital markets, free enterprise apply here. And if the students want to take a class from this professor, you know, let them. Let them decide. It's their money. They're the customer. Sure. But I, I agree with you that they shouldn't be forced to take a class when they don't know anything about what, what is in it. So here's what... By the way, on that marketplace of ideas and the marketplace generally, I mean, I think that's what the opposition to transparency was all about. I don't think instruction in, I don't think pedagogy in witchcraft in early modern Poland 
would have great purchase in an open, transparent marketplace, which is one of the reasons they were against transparency. My guess, my thesis. Anyway, sorry to exactly. I keep interrupting. Exactly. And with the Lewis Center, I had classes on personal finance, career success, entrepreneurship, where the dean and faculty chairs of the Barrett Honors College reduced. They artificially suppressed our enrollment mm-hmm. to allow courses like this, or taught by this professor, to have a chance for enrollment yes. instead of allowing the students to decide. So here's the news your audience, I, I guarantee you, has not yet known. This is the great news. And frankly, this is the part of everything that has been ignored by ASU and ABOR. The students have spoken. The Arizona State University, their Tempe, their undergraduate student government, voted on Tuesday night this week on a resolution, which is basically their recommendation to to ASU, and it was a unanimous vote for syllabi transparency. And this vote came in before the legislature brought in an amendment to basically mirror the students. But the students, their entire Senate, I think there are 30 senators on campus, not a single person objected. And this is a pretty wide swath of ideologies represented at the ASASU Senate, right? Do they still call it ASASU Associates that they used to? Anyway, the student government, the student senate at ASU, it's got to be a wide swath of ideologies, and they voted unanimously. They, they, this was the undergraduate student government, okay. Tempe, at, yeah. at ASU, and you know each campus has its own government, sure. but this is the Tempe undergraduate student government with 30 senators, and it was a unanimous vote it's without incredible. any opposition, incredible. no one— no one had even asked or challenged the bill, expressed concerns. This is common sense legislation. So when I look at our work and these discussions we've had on free speech, this is positive, yeah. nonpartisan legislation that shouldn't be political. So as this bill moves over to the House, I hope to see some Democrat co-sponsors. I hope to see Democrats that are open to this. But I'll tell you, a- a- all three of our public universities and the Arizona Board of Regents registered on record to oppose all of these bills immediately. But you took some students. Students were interested. They wanted to go to the legislature and say, we want this, right? Students went to the le- How often do you see college students take time off of class to go to the state legislature and say, we want you to do this? We want transparency. That, that was something else. yesterday. The week before spring break, we had a group of eight students, most of which are in the student government. That's great. Showed up to express their support for syllabi transparency. That's great. That's great. We'll talk a little bit more on the other side of this break. And you have to explain Seth in the middle because I, young David was um, saying that, that, that someone told him young David was an offensive, uh, 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 an offensive na- nickname for him, and he said they should call me old Seth. And that was son. their words, they said. But if I'm he not can call old, you young David. You've I'm got not, to call him old Seth. But I'm not old Seth. I'm Seth in the middle. I'm middle-aged. Seth in the middle yeah. with you. Atkin- Mrs. Atkinson will explain that when we come back. Oh, very funny. That's really very funny. Steelers wheel, stuck in the middle with you. Seth in the middle with you. Welcome back to the <laughs> Seth Liebson Show. Young David was, um, he had some friend, maybe a false friend, I don't know, who a new said, friend. <laughs> said uh, the sober K we have given him. Are you good with sober K, young David? The sober K we had given, is your mom good with it? We had given him, uh, as young David, was offensive and that he shouldn't return uh, in remonstration, call me old Seth. And I made a very simple point. Young David was not pejorative. It was just descriptive, whereas calling me old Seth is pejorative because I'm not old. And I said, in fact, I am known in the Atkinson household 
and soon everywhere as Seth in the middle. Correct, Mrs. Atkinson? Absolutely correct, because we always want you in the middle. Right. We want you in the middle of the conversation, right. the middle of us, if uh, we're seated together. Uh, My husband, we no, we've been together for 15 years. Did this come out of Thanksgiving, by the way? Any inter- anytime we're with you, we always want you in the middle. Okay. We, my husband drives a lot. He loves radio. He's uh, he's you know, he's here with the Salem Salem Network, frequently listening. He calls into the shows, and I remember our first dinner with you. We sat down at a booth <laughs> at Richardson's in Rokery, actually, yeah. and he sat on your side of the booth because he wanted to sit next to Seth. And he, this is a man who would send your monologues around oh to gosh. family and friends before we had ever met. But whenever we're together, it's always Seth in the middle. See, and David, I'm in the middle. And I'm not old. I'm middle-aged. Seth in the middle. None of this is pejorative. None of this is negative. Just embrace it. Own it, David. Own it, young David. Own young David? Yeah. Right, Ann? It's not negative. At what point do I not become young David? Is there a cutoff? Yeah. One year on my birthday, I have to officially change my license or something? No, when you catch up to me. When I catch up to you, I don't think it works that way. I think it does. All right. We're talking free speech and university accountability with your tax dollars here um, with Ann Atkinson. And uh, go ahead, because there's some stuff having to do with the Board of Regents as well in this new piece of omnibus legislation. Yes. So the syllabi transparency piece is one portion of this, but this bill also serves. And there are several individual bills that break down the pieces from the omnibus. But the, the essential part of this is all about accountability, and it really questions oversight. Now, what we have experienced in the last year is a university that does not hold itself accountable. That is supposed to be ABOR's job. The Arizona Board of Regents oversees all three of our public universities. And the ABOR, I think there are a lot of questions right now, and what we've experienced in this last year, are they really an oversight body, or are they serving more as a a rubber stamp? I can't imagine how a single board can oversee three huge universities and do so effectively in volunteer positions. But I remember writing a a public letter to Mr. Arnold, who's the executive director of ABOR, about all this free speech stuff. And it was very fair. It pointed out the issues. And his public response was essentially, look, we spoke with ASU. And based on those conversations, we've found nothing but a series of examples of unfettered free speech. And in that, I had provided so much information, I began to really question, are are they taking ASU's word for it? So this bill puts mechanisms in place where there's actual accountability. For example, if a person is discriminated against or faces retaliation for speech, for either you know students exploring the ideas that the arbiters of speech don't want them to, or uh, an executive director hosting an event and inviting speakers that aren't welcomed by the witchcraft professors, this would allow accountability so that in the event the university is not providing a true climate of free speech, if there is repeat condemnation that's obvious, that's proven, those individuals can sue. Yeah, It's not just a wrongful termination lawsuit. It empowers the people if they prove that they have been discriminated against, not for the protected classes of race, you know, gender, but um, if they are proving that they've been retaliated against for their speech, they have a legal case. And if the university was, and if ABOR as well, if they were already providing a culture that was consistent with their policies and proclamations, this would be no big deal. Right. Nothing to worry about. So we're creating a cause of action here for a violation of duty, for a violation 
of, um, of, of the job that you're supposed to be engaged in, supposed to be doing. Right. We shouldn't be afraid of the laws and being attacked by the laws uh, in private causes of action if we don't believe that we are going to be um, violated, violating them. It's that simple. It's that simple. Well done. Good work, Ann. Well, thank you, you to bet. the senators and and members of the House of Representatives. Oh, audience should write their legislatures, legislators. They should email them and tell them to support what legislative number here? SB? SB 1304. Right. It's 1304 through 1307, and those will be sent over to the House. Right. Tell, tell, tell your legislators to support SB 1304 at SEC, E-T-S-E-Q. Ann Atkinson, so good seeing you. Thank you, Seth, in the middle. Always a pleasure. All right. We'll be right back. Friends, the folks at Midas Gold Group have told me the U.S. government and the Fed will have no choice but to eventually steer interest rates lower because if they don't, the current level of interest rates will bankrupt the nation. There's no telling when the dam will break. But when it does, Midas wants to make sure you have flood insurance. And in this case, that's gold. Call Midas Gold Group now. Look into the opportunities gold can provide you as a way to diversify your investments. Call them at 480-360-3000 or go to MidasGoldGroup.com. Midas Gold Group is the nation's number one veteran-owned gold IRA firm. Protect your assets. Call 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Midas Gold Group, always faithful. MidasGoldGroup.com. All right, young David, what should we... Oh, we should also mention our event on March 26th, Fighting for Freedom. I'm going to let you do it. You want to do it? You Fighting do it. for Freedom. Yeah. I'll be there. Seth might be there. Yes, folks, he'll be there. Mike Gallagher and Salem host Officer Brandon Tatum. It's March 26th at Arizona Christian University in Glendale, Arizona. We're inviting you out there to come buy tickets. We're also giving away tickets to a lucky couple each week. One winner two tickets. Let me rephrase that. If you are of the aleatory spirit. We're giving away tickets, folks. So just email me at ddoll at Salem. That's Salem, like the town in Massachusetts, or Oregon. phx.com. <laughs> ddoll at Salem, phx.com. And we'll announce a lucky winner at the end of the show every Friday as we've done for the past four weeks now. That was pretty good, David. Thank you, young David. Uh, yeah, me, Mike Gallagher, Brandon Tatum, others, other special guests will be there, and it'll be great to interact with you all. Um, I was at a lunch today, and someone came up to me and said, you know, I love all you guys, but I just really love Mike Gallagher. And I said, well, we're bringing him out to March 26th. And she goes, I know. We're bringing our whole family. Hello, Craig. Why are you bothering young David? We're broadcast. We're working here. What? Come on in. I don't walk in and interrupt your show. Donald Trump and uh, <laughs> Donald Trump. Do I walk in and bother and interrupt you when you're on when you're when you're in the middle of work? Craig? No, you don't. All right. No, you don't. All right. What? So why are you doing this with Young David? And well, you know, it's important to make sure that things are running properly at the station, and I must do that on time every t- you know t- now and the, now little, and then. A little adult supervision is yes. required. Yes. All right. It's good. What have you been up to? Been a busy day. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Craig is uh, one of our star salesmen, and uh, he's been a great, great guy to get to know here over the over. And time. he's also a star in our hearts. Oh, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> That's fifty bucks for you. Have you been tracking the dual visits to the border that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are making today? It's so funny. 
that the way the media is kind of putting it together, Donald Trump goes to the border and Joe Biden goes to the border, as if it's the same thing. Here's Brandon Judd, by the way. You guys know Brandon Judd. He's the head of the National Border Control Council. Listen to this. He, he, he was doing a press conference. I think I can get the audio here uh, with Donald Trump today at the border. I think I can get it. No, your agents, my agents, they're mad as hell. Absolutely mad that President Biden went to Brownsville, Texas, rather than going to Arizona, rather than going to San Diego, California, rather than coming to Eagle Pass, Texas, which has been the epicenter. What President Trump has seen right here is he's seen how his policies have worked, but he's also seen how he can expand upon those policies once he takes goes back into the White House. He has seen how Governor Abbott has been able to use his policies to secure this specific area, the epicenter of the last two years of the illegal border crisis that we have had to endure. And your agents, President, they are pissed. Border Patrol agents are upset that we cannot get the proper policy that is necessary to protect human life, to protect American citizens, to protect the people that are crossing the border illegally. We want to protect them as well. And we can't do that because President Biden's policies continue to invite people across here. Thank goodness we have a governor like Governor Abbott. Thank goodness we have somebody that's willing to run for president of the United States, forgo everything else that he's been doing to serve the American people. President, thank you. I have not heard a press conference from a head of the Border Patrol like that in a long time, Craig. It's interesting. All the news is now that illegal immigration is the number one issue. In America, it used to be things like the economy. It used to be issues of you know that. Now it's illegal immigration, and uh, we're on the precipice of um, either going uh, south or north on this, either going uh, down or up on this, either going into a point of no return or restoring normalcy on this. And that's one of many reasons why I think this election is the most important in our history. It's become trite to say that, and every year perhaps or every election perhaps it becomes more and more true. But this is it, man. This is our last best chance. I don't know if you see the stakes the same way as I do. I do. I think that with um, uh, COVID happened, Hollywood went down, and politicians went up. It seems like they want to be the stars now. And so when growing up, you you rarely heard, uh, for the most part, a, a political activities happening maybe once in a while you listen to Cronkite or whatever now it's every day every five minutes somebody wants a a clip or something like that and and it's just disgusting anybody that thinks the open border policy is proper and good should move out of the country oh wow I have a lot more things to say about that (laughs) We want to stay on the air, don't we? I always I would say the other day, I always like it when I walk into a room and I'm not the most right-wing person yeah. in the room. That's yeah. why we well, keep you around. You know, you, you, you cannot Well, have. but you're on to a serious philosophical point. If you don't believe our country's borders matter, then why should your adherence and acceptance of this country matter? Right. 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 Why have, why have, why have fences right. around the Capitol? Why have fences around the White House. Right. Leave them open. Right. Let them open. No, right. they don't because it, it, it serves as protection. And um, we don't have that now. And the sentiment you are speaking to and holding back on, obviously, as you stated, as you articulated, it's a sentiment that runs rife everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I go, people are mad as you know what and can't 
feel like they can't take it anymore right. because it is an absurdity because they know we can do something about it. If we couldn't do something about it, that would be one thing. But we know that we can do something about it. This is not about ability. It's about will. Right. And it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And every country in the world has a border protection policy. Right. Every single one of them. Right. Except this one. Right. Except this one. And it's killing Americans. Okay. It's killing jobs. Yep. And it's an absurdity just in and of itself because it's killing our sovereignty. Right. It's also killing our economy. The mm-hmm. costs for dealing with this are incredible. And one of the most genius things I think Governor Abbott did, I will say Governor DeSantis as well, was uh, transporting many of these illegals mm-hmm. to these so-called sanctuary cities and the mayor's towns of these sanctuary cities in Chicago and Boston and Martha's Vineyard, Washington, D.C. and New York City. Whereas now, mayors like Eric Adams in New York City are saying we have to revisit our sanctuary city policy. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, do you now? Yeah. yeah. What a genius. Yeah, what a genius. Yeah. It's always good seeing you, brother. Good seeing you too, buddy. All right. Be a stranger. Portions of the show are brought to you by our friends at Y-Refi. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24. That's 888-Y-REFI-24. They have an opportunity to invest, an offer to invest in a secure and collateralized portfolio where you get a monthly statement with no surprises. There are absolutely no fees. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. And listen to this. Peace of mind. There's no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. With Y-Refi, best of all, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. A 10.25% fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. InvestYRefi.com. Sam Stone's going to be with us in just a little bit. I want to talk to him a little bit about our children, (coughs) our youth. And as a preface to that, John Hinderocker, over at the power line, posts a picture. Um, take a look at it. How wimpy are our kids? Is the title. Um, this is a picture of kids on a playground in 1912. Um, he writes, "It got me thinking. If you encouraged this sort of activity today, someone would call the police." What what it is? It's, it's a black and white picture, obviously. Picture of these kids on you know makeshift ladders. Well, real ladders and makeshift jungle gyms built of pipes, tall pipes, kids just playing, boys just playing. He says, if you encourage this sort of activity today, someone would call the police. No one would consider it safe for kids to play that way. And when it comes to children, safety is the supreme value. I've been working on and off on a memoir about what it was like to grow up in a small town in South Dakota in the 1950s and early 1960s, he writes. Looking back, kids in that time and place enjoyed an astonishing degree of freedom. Kids played almost always without parents having anything to do with it. In some ways, you could say our parents were strict. On the other hand, they rarely had any idea what we were doing. As long as we were home for dinner at 6, we were good. Those days are gone. And yet, despite the hothouse environments in which children are raised nowadays, they aren't safe at all. On the contrary, a great many of them simply can't cope with life. There's a, a great new book that Abigail, Abigail Schreier wrote on this uh, called Bad Therapy, Why the Kids Aren't Growing Up. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that more in uh, subsequent days and weeks ahead. Um, because, I don't know, call me a lefty or a liberal, 
but I agree with them that there's nothing more important about a nation than the way it handles and treats its children, and not just their bones, but their brains. All right, Sam Stone coming up. We'll be right back.